Good morning and welcome into the show. It is Daniel Wortman coming to you live from the Dream Imaginate Sports Studios. 8 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 5 a.m. super early morning wake-up call for all of you watching. Thanks for tuning in on this Tuesday, December the 3rd. Yesterday, history was made. It seems like every time he touches the ball these days, history is made. And yes, I am referring to none other than the GOAT. All of you Ronaldo lovers are crazy if you think he's anywhere near the level of the one and only, the greatest of all time, the GOAT, Leo Messi, who won his sixth Ballon d'Or. That's not one, but two, but three, but four, but five. Now record six for all of you watching at home. Ballon d'Ors for Leo Messi. Well-deserved. Quite frankly, should have closer to 10 by now, except for the Cristiano Ronaldo vanity project and some delusional voters uh, who gave Luka Modric. (laughs) Still not sure what happened there uh ballon d'or but uh, nevertheless still setting records and making history leo messi with his sixth ballon d'or well deserved and um i i said this yesterday on twitter um I think it was Anthony DeChico had tweeted some things about the Ballon d'Or and, and, and there were some pictures of Messi on the red carpet with uh, his wife and two of his sons. And I said to him, of all of his accomplishments, it seems like he takes the most pride and the most joy uh, and satisfaction in his greatest accomplishment, which is his family, which is one of the coolest things these days, quite honestly, to see an athlete, uh, you know, devoted family man from all intents and purposes. Um, and you know, loves his kids and uh, loves his family. Um, and that's really, really cool. Um, to, to see, um, you know, how, how he, um, you know, dotes on them, loves them, likes to, uh, to be dad, uh, to them. It's really, really cool. And, um, and yep, he, uh, he did it. He did what, uh, so many, um, you know, think and, and thought would happen, which is that he would in fact, um, you know, um, win the award and he did. And so, um, Anyway, thanks uh, thanks for tuning in, and um, and and big kudos to to Messi on that as well. Uh, a bit of news that uh, I don't know that we were able to really get into much uh, broke uh, about a week and a half ago or so, and that is that um, one of the co owners of uh, the Philadelphia Union um, is uh, wanting to. Um, put in a, a $50 million kind of soccer fund as this, as the country builds towards 2026 World Cup, uh, which will be hosted uh, primarily here in the U.S. with the, a few matches in Mexico as well as in Canada. And um, 
Article says, with the U.S. preparing to host the World Cup in 2026, one Major League Soccer owner is leading a $50 million investment in what he called the most important decade for the sport in the country. American soccer has a voice, and that voice is getting louder, said Richie Graham, a part owner of the Philadelphia Union. The 2026 World Cup is right around the corner, and we need to be aggressive. To that end, Graham and a team of former executives from the likes of Adidas... ESPN, U.S. Soccer, and soccer-focused digital media company Copa90 have established four soccer ventures, a $50 million investment fund focused on growing the game in North America. The ultimate goal, Graham said, is to create a one-stop platform where those invested in U.S. soccer, including kids, parents, casual fans, professional players, and coaches, can touch the sport and its culture. Graham said the world's most popular sport is benefiting in the U.S. from a rising Hispanic population and a tech-savvy millennial and Gen Z fan base. It's nice to be swimming with the tide, he said, pointing to the growing audiences for women's soccer and sizable MLS fan bases in places like Atlanta, Los Angeles, Seattle, and Portland, and Oregon. Uh, in Portland, Oregon, the venture will comprise two principal components, the Soccer Collective, a multimedia content producer aimed at promoting the culture of American soccer and the Soccer Alliance meant to build on Graham's existing holdings through a network of clubs, leagues and tournaments. The Soccer Collective will begin next year across social media channels such as Instagram, TikTok and YouTube, as well as direct to consumer platforms. A number of marquee international teams featuring such icons as Messi, Ronaldo, and Neymar are regularly staging exhibition games in the U.S. in an attempt to gain fans in the world's biggest sports market. Graham said it's only a matter of time until an American-born and trained superstar emerges doing for soccer in the U.S. what Yao Ming did for basketball in China. We're in the fan conversion business. This will always be a baseball and football place, but at some point, soccer will have a place at the table. There's so many things that we could do to, to kind of talk about this, but there's a few few points to this uh, story from uh, Bloomberg. First is, there's no real substance to this article. It was a PR headline, $50 million. I mean, going into what? Where are you growing the game? $50 million fund. I mean, where's where's the money actually going and then when you get into like what it's actually going to do, it's a multimedia content producer. Okay. Promoting the culture of American soccer. Is that major league soccer or the culture of American soccer? Cause there's a much more vast, deep and more historical culture of American soccer that goes back decades and decades and decades be interesting to see if that's what he means by the culture of american soccer and then you know when you look at some of these other comments about it's only a matter of time until an american born and trained superstar emerges the problem is major league soccer keeps talking about wanting to invest less money in development their environments are not yielding superstars And the best and brightest are realizing all of the time that they have to get out of here in order to make it. So unless some substantive changes take place, that is nothing more than yet another Major League Soccer soccer marketing slogan. 
There's just not much to it. Then in the last few days, Mickey Turner, a friend of the show, revealed that sources sources of his has reached out to him to say that U.S. soccer has lost over two-thirds of the nest egg that they accumulated primarily from Copa America 2016. Now, to just set this up for a moment, if you think back to the 2018 presidential election, now, let me just set this up. I, I, I'm, as you know, if you've watched the show, I'm intimately aware of the behind the scenes of much, not all, but much of what went down in the 2018 presidential election. As you know, I worked with Eric, Eric Winalda, ran his president for, uh, campaign for president of U.S. soccer. I knew many of the other uh, teens and and met many of the other candidates. Uh, talked to everyone from Sunil Galati, Carlos Cordero. Met all these people. Talked to these people. Talked to voters all over the country. I could spend a whole day just going through pictures. If you know, if you wanted to go down memory lane and look at slideshows, it's, it, it was all over the place, all over this country, in a real concerted effort to try and make change substantive positive forward thinking change a reality in the 2018 election one of the big selling points that carlos cordero was running on one of the big ones was that he had the business expertise to lead this federation into a new age. And he sold this to the Athlete Council. He sold this to voters, not just the Athlete Council. And one of the things that he ran on is that he was a member of the board of directors, first as an independent director, and then the, the last two years leading up to this election as the vice president of U.S. soccer and had helped establish a $150 million surplus. Look at us. Look at what I can do. If you give me the reins, I will make it rain cash from the heavens <laughs> we're gonna grow this thing and let me just say we should be we we are nowhere near tapping into the market potential that is american soccer that there is no doubt about that but in terms of the marketing pitch for that 2018 presidential election this was one of the Areas in which he hammered voters, kept talking about his business acumen, his business expertise, his business background. I alone, this is something he would say a lot, I alone am the only candidate in, the, in this race that has the ability to do this, 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 and this. And one of the things that was in that list was 
his business background. He kept talking about this over and over and over again. And he and others who backed him would point to this $150 million surplus and they would talk about to the voters, look at what has happened under him being on the board, him being vice president. We're at $150 million surplus. Let's keep this thing building. We know we've got to make some changes. We know we've got to make some improvements. He's a smooth talker. He's a salesman. He worked for Goldman Sachs. That's what they do. He's really good at working a crowd and working individuals one-on-one and really telling them what they want to hear. So he goes around and he sells this idea that I alone, I alone am, the, am the one who can build this Federation's budget and deposits and reserves into never-before-seen levels. Building on that same theme, less than a year ago, in February 2019, he stood before the U.S. Soccer Annual General Meeting to give his annual speech, his first-ever State of the Union type of address as president of U.S. Soccer. And he spoke about building towards a $500 million reserve. Now, that may eventually come to pass down the road, maybe after we get through 2026, we will have the ability to get there eventually one day. But it's 2019. It is almost 2020. And when he assumed office, we were at $150 million. Now, last I checked, we have not seen massive investments into the grassroots infrastructure. We've not seen massive investments in fixing the youth game. We have not seen massive investments in families and parent education. We have not seen massive investments in coaching education to make licensing more available, cheaper, more attainable. We haven't seen massive investments in the U.S. Open Cup. We haven't seen massive developments in investments all across the board. And yet, according to Mickey Turner's sources, the $150 million reserve is now lost over 110 million dollars in less than two years 150 and lost more than a hundred and ten million dollars when we when we look at where we are, as a federation, there have been a lot of promises, a lot of things that were sold to us, sold to the voters, sold to the members. Not very many, if any, of the major promises or initiatives have been followed through. We have burnt through most of the reserves without anything to show for it. 
lawsuits have skyrocketed. Mismanagement has continued. We had a full, almost a full-on revolt this summer with the Glassdoor reviews when it looked like Jay Berhalter was going to work his way into the CEO position and all of these people within the U.S. soccer house, the U.S. soccer employees who have had to work with and deal with Jay Berhalter were anonymously for fear of retribution or losing their jobs, spoke out and said, this guy should be nowhere near the chief executive office's desk. The culture of U.S. soccer, the finances of U.S. soccer, another area where U.S. soccer was promised changes, positive changes, was about fixing problems. Announcing a task force, making a committee is not fixing change. That's not what leaders do. Leaders bring people together and then they take action. They don't talk about it. They boldly lead. They listen. They bring people together and then they act. What changes have we seen since February 2018? In the youth space, one major area that Carlos Cordero talked about needing to get fixed. Here's another area, transparency. At the 2019 U.S. Soccer AGM, the uh, Cal North Soccer Association submitted a policy amendment to improve the transparency of the Federation. This did not come from Carlos Cordero. Now, he ran on improving transparency. He acknowledged in interviews leading up to the 2018 election that there were serious problems with the relationship between U.S. soccer and Soccer United Marketing, the company owned by Major League Soccer owners and operators. He acknowledged that there were conflicts of interest in things that needed to be addressed. Carlos Cordero didn't put forth any amendments, any policy amendments as president of U.S. soccer. He did not promote propose these to the board level or at the AGM to improve and enhance and increase transparency and accountability to the Federation members. But Cal North did. They put forth a policy amendment that would ensure that board meetings would get announced in advance. Now, these are simple corporate governance issues. Someone who ran on corporate governance as a staple of his platform should be able to work on some policy amendments to improve the Federation. After all, there are a lot of issues. He acknowledged these himself. It doesn't mean that if they all went up for a vote that they would all pass, but he submitted none in 2019. And only one dealing with transparency really got uh, put forth to a vote and voted in. The good news, and this is where we're going to spend uh, coming back from the break. The good news is, is we have learned 
that there have been several state associations who have started to look at what Cal North did and have started to take matters into their own hands and work towards better governance and transparency and in implementing or, or putting up for a vote some more policy amendments. But my question is, where is Carlos in all of this? Leadership requires someone to speak up, to lead, to take action, not sit in the background. Don't don't go around making empty promises, but do what you said you would do. Build the federation. Instead, we've lost 110 million. Improve transparency. Submit policy proposals. Instead, others have had to do that and are doing that. Time and time again, we've seen nothing but a little talk here and there, but no real substantive progress. We celebrate the U.S. Women's National Team this summer. But that could be could be argued was in spite of the Federation, not because of it. We have to do better. And I look forward to sharing some of these policy amendments coming up uh, after the break. Our sponsor this half hour is Ductic Brand, D-U-K-T-I-G Brand.com. Again, that is D-U-K-T-I-G Brand.com. Use promo code DWSHOW and you will get 10% off of your next order at DuckTickBrand.com. We'll be right back after this.
welcome back into the show. Thanks for tuning in on this Tuesday, December the 3rd. I hope you're getting your Christmas shopping done. Maybe you got a lot of it done this weekend. Maybe you braved the craziness of Black Friday and all that goes along with it, whatever the case may be. Hope uh, hope all that's going well for you. I typically don't like to get out and all of that. Um, rather just shop from the convenience of my phone on the couch and uh, and hang out with uh, family and friends and <laughs> and avoid some of the craziness. Wow, uh, from the weekend. But um, getting back to where we were uh, before we went to break, we were talking about some of the the past campaign promises of Carlos Cordero. And the reason why those matter, it's not me picking on Carlos Cordero. I want to make this clear. This is not personal. This is the fact that he is the one who won the election. Now, there were other candidates that ran. Many of them had great things to say. Matter of fact, most I think every single candidate, there were things about what they wanted to do as president that were good, including Carlos. And that's some of the things we've talked about. His calling for increased transparency, better governance. He talked about, you know, better financial management, growing the reserves of the Federation so that the Federation could do more for its members These are all things he talked about. These are not bad things. And other candidates had good ideas as well. It's that he won. And so it's not, uh, you know, I want to make this clear. I'm not one of those people that's going to go around just bashing Carlos Cordero because it's a personal vendetta or it's a personal thing. It's not at all. It's he is the president of the United States Soccer Federation and as as a candidate he ran on certain ideas he talked about winning and doing certain things and those things have not happened we're almost halfway through his term as president of u.s soccer and we're not seeing progress One of the areas that we were talking about before the break is transparency, better governance. He has not been putting forth any policy proposals so far, and it took Cal North, a a soccer association, a state association within the U.S. soccer membership, to put forth a a very simple policy. initiative in terms of transparency and that was to say that the the board of directors had to publish an agenda at least seven days prior to their next board meeting so that the members could know they could know what was on the agenda they could know what was coming up know that there was a meeting in the first place that passed but there's not been really anything else and now Based off of what we saw at the 2019 U.S. Soccer AGM, where that policy amendment was passed, a policy amendment put forth by the Cal North uh, State Association, Illinois Adult Soccer has chosen to put forth uh, not one, but a few uh, amendments, and, and in fact, one bylaw amendment 
to continue some of building on some of the things that Carlos himself campaigned on, and that was better governance and more transparency. One of the policy amendments that the Illinois Adult Soccer Association has put forth uh, has to do with a bidding policy, a procurement policy. Now, why is this important? Um, Having looked at this policy and looked at this idea, the reason why it's important is you you have a national governing body. That's number one. Number two, it is a very large governing body. It deals with not just millions of dollars, but it oversees an ecosystem worth billions of dollars. Even though the Federation at its height had no more than this in recent years, no more than that $150 million surplus that they've already burned through. The ecosystem that they oversee as a federation, as a governing body, is much larger. Youth soccer alone is is an over $5 billion per year industry and ecosystem. It alone is larger than the first division in Germany in terms of economic power. It's huge. American soccer is massive. It's just not structured properly, so therefore we don't cover it properly. We don't know about it, but it's there, and people are making money hand over fist all over this country, just not in ways that you think of. And the Federation is sitting on top of that as the, as the governing body, and it has no publicly published procurement or bidding policy. Now, why is this important? It's important, as we mentioned, the Federation is a national governing body. It's important because of the scale and size of the organization. It's important because it is a nonprofit organization that is beholden to its membership. It is a member organization. Well, how do we know that the day-to-day operations and that the board of directors overseeing those day-to-day operations are accountable? How do we know that there's no financial mismanagement? How do we know that contracts and negotiations are yielding the greatest returns for the Federation and its membership? How do we know without a publicly available bidding and procurement policy that puts transparency at the, at the center of the policy How do we know that the best interests of the Federation are being kept at the forefront in all financial negotiations? And you might sit there and go, well, you know, I mean, we've gotten this far. You know, we're doing okay. We've gotten this far. However, I want you to understand that makeup of the board of directors You have a past president in Sunil Gulati, who, while being president of U.S. soccer, was on the payroll of Major League Soccer. 
You have Don Garber on the board of directors who is the CEO of Soccer United Marketing, a company that has a no-bid contract with the United States Soccer Federation. He is also, if you've watched any American soccer on TV, he's also the commissioner of Major League Soccer. Board of Directors, U.S. Soccer. Alec Papadakis, owner of the USL on the board of directors. So if you have people involved in the game, working within the game, and you want their input in the board of directors level, and we want up and up operations, what do we do? We put in policies that provide oversight, that provide accountability, that provide what Carlos ran on, better governance and transparency. So one of these policies is a procurement policy. Illinois State Soccer has put this forward. And I'm sure there will be you know, specifics on this that will get released by Illinois as they get closer to the AGM and others learn about this. But the, the point is, from my understanding, is this bidding policy is intended to provide the Federation and its membership with better transparency, better governance, and as well as providing a framework to ensure the long-term economic viability and growth potential, which is another key factor here. We, we heard about running on building, even as I mentioned in the show multiple times today, Building the nest egg at the 2019 U.S. Soccer AGM. Carlos Cordero spoke about this. Building the U.S. Soccer Reserves. It's over $500 million. We've lost $110 million, according to Mickey Turner's soft, uh, uh, sources. So when we look at a bidding and procurement policy, this is standard practice for nonprofit governing body type national organizations this is not a a policy out of left field this is a standard practice something that that a candidate like carlos cordero now president of u.s soccer should have put forth himself this is right out of his wheelhouse he is fully familiar having been a a former goldman sachs executive exactly what goes into financial oversight and regulations that is his entire world so this bidding and procurement policy put forth by the illinois state soccer association is one way to help ensure that the best interest of the federation and all of its members is protected it safeguards the federation from financial mismanagement it makes it much more difficult for someone to embezzle funds 
or set up their own sweetheart deals. No one should have a problem with this. No one should have a problem with making sure that the funds of the U.S. Soccer Federation are properly handled. It's a no-brainer. It makes total sense. If we want to grow our federation and, 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 if, and if we want it to keep it on its stated mission, U.S. Soccer says about itself that it wants to make soccer their preeminent sport in this country. If this is indeed the fact, and if this is the intent, the goal, the vision, the purpose of the United States Soccer Federation... Shouldn't we have rules in place that help us get there? Rules in place to protect us from financial mismanagement? Rules in place that ensure we get fair market value for contracts? Contracts including a potential television deal for our national teams? Deals that ensure that we're getting the best bang for our buck? It makes complete sense to me. It is something that that I think should have been in place before Carlos Cordero ever came into office. But the fact that he made better governance, more transparency, part of what he talked about in running for president. He beat on that drum about being a, a, a former Goldman Sachs executive, someone with corporate experience. He made that such a central part of his platform. Shouldn't we have a procurement and bidding policy? A policy that makes sure that we are leveraging all of our assets, that we're building equity and we're building resources and we are bringing in more and more revenue and building a reserve fund at 500 million a billion whatever whatever we can build it to isn't a policy that helps us get there isn't that a good initiative to me it makes complete sense just like publishing that you're going to have a board meeting seven days before the board meeting with an agenda. Makes sense. That's how, that's how healthy organizations are run. They're transparent. Those rules are put in place to keep people from just going rogue. That's why they're there. They're there on purpose. It's completely standard practice. It's not out of the realm of ordinary. It is absolutely the normal standard operating procedure for a national governing body, a nonprofit organization, a national organization like the U.S. Soccer Federation to have in place financial protocols, regulations, conflicts of interest policies, Bidding policies, how you spend your money, 
All of those things should be published for public consumption. If you want to do business with a federation, here's here's how you have to approach us. Everything we're, we are going to do is on the up and up. Period. Plain and simple. It's not that hard to figure out. Another area that that the Illinois State Association um, looked into before getting to West Virginia, who has also put forth an amendment, is that Illinois put forth a, a bylaw amendment on the professional league standards, changing the definition so that the definition would read that the the professional league standards as published in the United States Soccer Federation policy manual and approved by the National Council or voted in by the National Council, some some version, something like that. Changing it from being something directed by the board to something that is published for public consumption, public viewing, something that amended goes through the amendment process through the National Council. Our professional league standards should be publicly published. If you look up standards around the world, they are publicly published everywhere. They are part of the essential governing documents of the English FA, of the English Football League, of the Premier League, of the Irish FA. I mean, you go around the world, they're all publishing these documents. They are public consumption. They are part of their public policy manual. You're not getting around. It's a, it's a centerpiece of what they do, of who they are. In the case of the Premier League and the English Football League, leagues that are governed and sanctioned by the English FA, their professional league standards are hundreds of pages long, detailed. I mean, they tell you, like, when you can go to the bathroom. I mean, not literally, but it feels like that. <laughs> it feels like you have to get permission to go to the restroom at a certain minute within the match. Because they are so detailed, but they're for public consumption. You can go and read them. So kudos to Illinois. They looked at where where the the U.S. Soccer Federation is, and these professional league standards are, are kind of arbitrary rules that have been written by a select group of people that were under the direction of Sunil Gulati while he was president of U.S. Soccer. And it kind of came, you know, under his purview through the board of directors and have never been published in the U.S. Soccer Policy Manual. They're just out here on the side, never included in the policy manual. Well, those things should be for public consumption. It should be readily available to every member of U.S. soccer. It should be readily available to anyone in the world that wants to see the standards governing the professional leagues in the U.S. And those leagues going through a normal amendment process should be able to go before the National Council and say, hey, we would like to see certain things changed. We're growing 
the, the sport is growing and we feel like now as a, for example, the first division, we feel like now to, to be the size of the United States that we are, that, that our stadiums, instead of being 15,000 minimum should be 20,000 or 25,000 or 50,000, whatever the case may be, like they should have the ability to go before the national council and say, this makes more sense and here's why and the national council should vote for it and it should be readily available in the published policy manual plain and simple it's not that complicated this is transparency this is good governance there is a version the latest version that that I'm aware of, and I've checked with multiple sources on this, was published on February the 28th of 2014. We've gone through two World Cups since on the men's side, and we've gone through one, two women's World Cups since. So 2014 and 18, 2015 and 19 World Cups. These rules have not been changed that's the last version, but they've never been included in the policy manual. So we have a, a state association who looked at not having a bidding procurement policy makes total sense. That's just straight good governance, transparency. And now we have a situation where you are putting forth a bylaw proposal amendment to change that definition and then a companion policy amendment, which is technically, I think, a new policy is the way it's worded, where you publish the professional league standards in the U.S. Soccer Policy Manual. Now, all of that makes sense. It should be public knowledge. It should be public consumption. If I'm a prospective owner, I, I want to be able to read and see, you know, what do I need to, to do to get ready? What do I need to do to be able to invest in a team and get them where I need them to go? Right now, you can't find those answers very easily. You have to search for them. And it's not part of a standard process. It's not standardized how you amend these rules, how you find these rules, so what's happened is in the absence of transparency, you get conspiracy theories. You get people out there saying, look, these rules were written in the dark. They're kept in the dark and they are being used to move the goalposts. And there is some evidence to support those conspiracies. And quite frankly, I think if you look at what has happened up until 2014, <coughs> excuse me, up until 2014, I think there's a case to be made that several of these rules were changed. Now, the question that's never been answered is why? This is where you look at Sunil Gulati being on the payroll of Major League Soccer while these rules are written. They are the first division league and it's making it difficult to, these rules were, were written in a way to make it difficult to try to compete with them as a business, as a league. So then you start connecting the dots and you go, man, maybe it's not so far-fetched, this idea of a conspiracy. Maybe it's real. 
And by keeping a a set of rules like the professional league standards in an arbitrary process in the dark secluded away with the board of directors and not included in a standardized process published publicly available in the u.s soccer policy manual what you end up doing is you open yourself up to criticism that you shouldn't be getting you open yourself up to accusations that shouldn't be able to stand If you look at governance around the world, when it comes to soccer federations and leagues, these documents should be out in the open. They should go through a normalized, standardized process to change them, and they should be there for all to see. If I want to get in, if you want to get in, if we all want to get in, this is what we got to do. This is what we have to to be. This is the level we have to achieve to get there. Now, we don't have promotion and relegation. We don't have a a merit-based system where you win and you work your way up. So right now, what we have in place are three levels of rules on men's outdoor, three levels of rules on the women's outdoor. And right now, those rules, even as they're written in their current form, don't totally line up. They're not completely standardized. So looking at some of the policy uh, proposals from, for example, Illinois, is to say, look, let's publish these and let's get them fixed. Let's get them standardized. Let's recognize that there are multiple ways to build a proper football club. There's different ownership types, different states. You know, you look at somebody like Chattanooga, for example, going out and, and, and doing a kind of a crowdsourcing of investors. That's all really cool stuff. We should be trying to unlock that kind of potential in American soccer. So standardizing those rules and making the focus be on the quality of the operations of a club, prove that you can pay your bills Prove that you can do it for, you know, set number of years and prove that you have a stadium that is worthy of consideration. Prove that that you are, you know, a, a proper operation. Prove all of that and you can play if a league will take you. That should be the basic just a basic set of rules so having those kind of policy amendments put forth that that puts an emphasis on good governance an emphasis an emphasis on standardization and transparency is good and illinois has has put forth a couple you know big ideas one is the bidding and procurement policy and the other is let's publish these professional league standards let's 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 start fixing some of our our self-inflicted wounds let's let's heal those wounds that are self-inflicted we're causing ourselves issues by not having these policies publicly available by not having these things more transparent so let's fix them 
So here's a solution. Let's put forth a bidding policy that can help fix that. Let's put forth the publishing of the professional league standards so we can fix that. Let's grow the game. Let's make MLS and USL and NISA and all these leagues and these teams and these prospective ownership groups more successful. It's America. Let's build this thing as big as it can get. Having these standards published and publicly available and, and streamlined and standardized to put the focus on operations and making them transparent organizations to the federation to each other adapting to the times the fact that there are different ways to to build a very healthy and and financially vibrant organization those are essential to growing the game which gets back to the mission of u.s soccer to make soccer the preeminent sport in america I personally don't think we should be trying to make soccer and, you know, acceptable as a major sport compared to American football or baseball or basketball. I think we should be trying to make American soccer the best soccer country on earth. And if we do that, it'll be bigger than anything else in the world, including the NBA, the NFL and Major League Baseball. And you say, man, you're crazy. That can never happen. Oh, it could. And I think we should try. We should try to reach for the moon. Who knows? We might actually get there one day. Oh, wait. We did that in less than 10 years. Because we had a leader who stepped up and said that I believe by the end of this decade, we will put a man on the moon. One of the great things about the Pixar story is that after they had had some success, they were coming back for Toy Story 2. And it was going to be a direct to, you know, VHS type of, you know, release. It wasn't going to go to theaters at first. Well, then Pixar in this in this relationship and partnership with Disney, Disney says, look, we want to, we want to put this in theaters. And they realized like the story was just not good enough. And they had a timeline and they had less than a year. And they went in and said, look, it's not good enough. And, and Disney was like, I think it's too late to start over. We're going to have to go with what you got. And they're like, no, it's not good enough. We're going to fix it. And they basically throughout most of the film started over and still made the deadline and it was a huge hit. And it's and it's continued to lead to more and more success from Pixar over the years. Toy Story 3, Story, Toy Story 4. It's so many other films. Because people dare to dream, but also hold to excellence. They were accountable. And we need policies in the Federation, in our policy manual, that help us do this. Help us achieve excellence. Help us reach for the stars and build something great. A bidding procurement policy put forth by Illinois can help us ensure that we get enough financial resources in our contract negotiations to build a better future. Publishing these professional league standards can help us build a better future. 
It can help us build our leagues to levels that they've never been before quicker than they thought achievable before more sustainable in the long term rather than just being a risky thing that you try and you hope you just don't burn through all your cash now all of a sudden you're looking at it going hey how can we make this not just profitable but sustainable meaningful how can we build this together build something big putting these standards in front of the world to see, including all the Federation members, means that we may find investors and people willing to invest, not just from all over this country, but all over the world to go, look, I I can do this. I'll buy into this. I see the huge potential for American soccer. Let's make it happen. So I'm, I'm, I'm really, really thankful that other state associations have started to put forth ideas like Cal North. I mentioned a few minutes ago, West Virginia. West Virginia put forth a policy amendment. It's a new policy that is basically stating that the Federation is going to treat all men's professional soccer and women's professional soccer equal that gender will not be a basis of discrimination this is a great thing for the federation to be forward thinking to be fair and equitable it's a great way to avoid future legal troubles some of the things we're facing right now because we didn't have policies like this in place our treatment of the men's versus the women's national team. We shouldn't even be having this conversation, but it is a legal conversation. One that is ongoing because the Federation made separate deals. They treated the women one way and the men another. This West Virginia policy is a policy that says, look, if the first division men's professional soccer gets 5% of the overall vote in an election that the women's first division professional soccer league should get the same. The way it currently stands, major league soccer has been getting around 15% of the overall vote in election to put that in context. As I mentioned on yesterday's show, that's about 30% of the vote you need to win an election or even pass a policy amendment. The women at the same time have been getting around a third of what Major League Soccer have been getting. So the NWSL is getting about a third of what Major League Soccer is getting in voting power. They're the first division women's professional league. The first division men's professional league is getting almost a three X voting power just because they're men. That shouldn't be. So we, we, we see this policy from West Virginia that says, let's make these things equal. If there is a, 
first division men's league and a first division women's league, they're going to share first division power equally. It's going to get distributed equally. If you have a second division women's professional league and a second division men's league, it gets the, that voting power gets shared equally. Same at the third division. If we ever get to a place where the Federation does its job and starts adding a fourth and a fifth division, great. It, it would apply to something like that too. These are all policies, bidding, procurement policy, this, you know, gender professional voting policy, the the professional league standards definition, uh, bylaw definition and policy of propose of of publishing the the uh, professional league standards within the official U.S. soccer policy manual. These are all housekeeping issues. They're standardization issues. They're proactive measures to avoid future financial and legal troubles. They're good governance initiatives. They provide more transparency. They give us the framework to earn more revenue for the Federation. All of these, last I checked, were things that Carlos Cordero ran on. Now, they're not suggestions that have come from him, but he could go a long way in voting for them and championing these with the membership to say, look, I love what Illinois has done. I love what West Virginia has done. And if there are some other policies that 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 are going up for a vote and they're good ideas, maybe you can champion those as well. To say, hey, these are good ideas. These are great. Let's make them happen. That's what we need from leaders. Even if it's not our ideas and we see that it's a good idea and it's something that's part of what what I may have talked about as a platform that I adopted and go, you know what? That's a great idea. Let's do this. That's what I hope that we see from our board of directors within U.S. soccer, from Carlos Cordero specifically, from the National Council. Let's build a better, transparent organization, a federation that serves its members well, that gets better positioned to reach for the stars and build something magical, something incredible. That is my hope. That is what I would love to see within U.S. soccer. And I am thankful that there are, there are state associations and other members within U.S. soccer that are starting to take initiative and uh, follow the lead of Cal North and to offer some of these policy amendments to help us uh, build a federation that can last for generations and and lead us into a brighter future. Uh, so that that is encouraging, and I am really really glad to hear um, and find out about you know all of these efforts around the country of people just trying to grow the game and make it better. Speaking of making things better. Our sponsor this half hour is Charity Water. You can learn more about Charity Water at charitywater.org. They provide clean drinking water to people all over the world. And this holiday season, you can be a part of 
that story at charitywater.org. We'll be right back after this. No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them. It changes everything. You could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the life of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens. Thanks for tuning in today. As always, uh, really appreciate you watching and listening. Uh, these policy amendments and by- bylaw provisions, these are so important to help us build a better and brighter future for all involved in American soccer. Thanks for watching. As always, you can watch on facebook.com forward slash WRKMN or at danielworkman.com. Catch me on Twitter or Instagram at Daniel Workman. Thanks for watching. We'll see everyone again tomorrow.